All right, so we are in the middle of a series called Shaped to Serve. And last week we started out with um, part one of our Shaped to Serve. And the first thing I talked to you guys about when I just got into the message last week was I talked about an architect. And I don't think we have any architects in the house because I asked last week, there was nobody. But I found out through studying about the architect position is that before they even make plans of a building, before they get started with building or laying a foundation, uh, what, what they do is they ask two questions. And the first question is, what will be its purpose, the building, what will be its purpose and how will it be used? What will be the purpose of the building and how will it be used? And the reason why they asked that question is because the answer is going to actually create what the form of the building is going to look like. They asked that question because they want to structure and build the building and shape it the way it's supposed to be made. For instance, when you, when you look at a church, they're going to structure something, maybe a church form. Or I remember I was at the Boys and Girls Club as a teenager, and we wanted a gym and a pool table area. And so they made this building to look like that. And so the two questions they ask is, what will be its purpose and what is it used for? And in a sense, before God created any, anything in this world, we were already thought up. The great architect already had something for us. He shaped us. He shaped us for what we are today. And we're walking this world right now. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you right now, Lord, for, for this opportunity just to dive into your word, Father. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that uh, as uh, I speak, Lord, that it's not my words, my opinions, Father, but it's words from you, Lord. Father, that the words in your scripture just penetrate our hearts, our minds. It cleanses us, Father God. It shows us truth. It shows us that we are victorious in this life. We just thank you for who you are and what you're doing in us right now. In Jesus' name we pray and we all say Amen and amen. All right, so the anchor scripture we've been using for this series, Shape to Serve, is, comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. And in this passage, Paul is talking to Timothy about the power of God. Okay? And in verse 9, he tells Timothy, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. I'm going to pause for a second. Remember the word holy means to be separated, all right, from world stuff and in tune with God. So what God is doing, what what Paul is sharing with Timothy is that he called you to be separated from world standards and traditions and follow what his kingdom says. Continue on. Not according to our works, but according to his purpose, his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And that word, his own purpose, his own, just identifies that he is making something in us or doing something in us for his glory. So what Paul just told Timothy, he spoke four specific words over Timothy. With the scripture we just read, he, God spoke four specific words into our lives. And those four words are saved us, called us, uh, purposed us, and graced us. You see, it was by his grace that we were saved. And the moment we come to Jesus, we have been called and we have been purposed to continue to walk this world on earth. And last week we talked about there should be three revelations we should have or we should know uh, when we walk and we take this journey. And the first one was get a revelation, okay, of who you are in Jesus Christ. Being confident in Christ, in other words. You see, so many times we tend to want to do stuff on our own and work on our own, but the whole time it's never been about us, it's been about him. And so when we get a grasp that I'm here because of Jesus, 
then we find that purpose in our life and we want to fulfill it. And that revelation only comes through his son, Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that you have been made right before God because of his obedience, not because of ours or yours, because of what Jesus already did, we've been made right before God's eyes. And the second revelation we talked about was getting a revelation of the church, okay? And we talked about how Resurrection Life Church, it's, it's a great place, God. We have a, a place in the kingdom of God, but when you have a revelation of the church, you have to realize you are the church, okay? Not the building, all right? It's a great place to come to gather and worship. We assemble together, but, but it is you guys that goes beyond these four walls and continue to be the church, which is the body of Christ. And when we have a revelation and a mindset of that, we understand, man, there is a mission on a Monday. There is a mission on a Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Sunday, I'm just fueling up. I'm at the gas station. I'm just fueling up. That's all I'm doing. I'm getting together around my people that have the same in common with me. And then we go back to Monday and I'm going to work. I'm going to the factories or I'm going to the office or I'm going to the restaurants or I'm going home or I'm taking the neighborhood or we are the church. We have to have that revelation that we are the church. And the third thing we talked about last week also was getting a revelation of his kingdom. His kingdom. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he died because he knew there was a cause, is what the scripture says. He did it for the cause, and that cause was his kingdom. And that's what we are here for. We have to have a revelation that we are here to serve his kingdom. Everyone say serve. serve. We are here to serve his kingdom and advance his kingdom. And when we get a hold of that, when we get those three revelations, we realize, ah, oh, ah, oh. everyone go, ah, oh. <laughs> I was, I was shaped to serve. I, 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 I know who I am in Christ. I know I'm the church. Now I'm here to work for the kingdom and do, do what I have to do for the kingdom of God. And so today I want to continue on with that. And I believe the perfect example of being shaped to serve, the perfect example is Jesus Christ himself when he walked this world. And in John chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 1, I, I love, I love how, how Jesus just walks this whole thing out with his disciples. Jesus was pretty slick. Okay, I, I mean, he had, he had suave to him. He knew what he was doing, all right? He knew he had 12 young guys, and he believed in these guys. Take a second, okay? Look at these 12 guys he chose, all right? Fishermen, tax collectors. I mean, they, they come from different backgrounds, he took 12 people that maybe no one else believed in, and he said, hey, come follow me. And because of that one uh, act of obedience, them following, he started pouring into these guys because he knew these 12 are going to reach multitudes. And that trend is still going today. I'm affected by those 12, by the way, just saying, because they said yes, I'm saying yes, and it's going to continue on. And Jesus, Jesus had it right. And so he's with the 12 disciples, all right? And this is John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. And it says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. Okay, so now we're looking at the crucifixion. It's coming up, he's saying. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. Okay, and I, I, I emphasize that because ministry on earth shows that Jesus walked the same world we walked, we're, we're walking today. Okay, and so he's here and he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. Did you know that there are some of those disciples that people just didn't love? 
Some were tax collectors. and like, eh. They were unlovable to them. But Jesus loved them while he was here on earth. Now I'm going to challenge you guys. I'm going to challenge myself too. Think about someone right now that is hard to love. Now think about imitating Jesus. While we're here in our earthly ministry, by the way, ministry doesn't mean you have to have a microphone and a platform. It just means you have Jesus in your heart. Okay? Now when you, when you look at having Jesus in your heart and imitating what he did with his disciples, how should we treat those that we feel like it's hard to love? Just a challenge out there. We have to check ourselves all the time. So going back again, uh, he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end, okay? The very end of his earthly life, because he's still living today, but his very end of the, of the earthly walk. Verse 4 says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. So Jesus wraps this thing around him, okay, this towel, pours water into a bowl pretty much, okay, and he washes his disciples' feet. Who's ever washed dishes before, okay? When you wash, and I'm not talking about a dishwasher, okay? Dishwasher does not count. I don't even believe in dishwashers, by the way. You have to wash the dish to put in a dishwasher. Looking, nah, that doesn't make sense to me, all right? But when you have, when you, when you do the dishes, I've learned one thing, okay? Doing the dishes is half the job. The other half is to dry the dishes. Think about that for a second. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. The other half he did he went the extra mile, and he dried their feet. When I think about when I would bathe my kids when they were babies, and like right now, we bathe our, our youngest. He's only one and a half. And uh, when we bathe them, we don't just bathe them and let them go and free, and he's all wet. <laughs> that would be bad. Funny, but bad. <laughs> but, but what we do is we dry them up, all right? And Jesus did that. He, he dried his, he wanted to be completed. He wanted them to complete their mission. Now check this out. Verse 12, okay? After he does all that, after, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? In other words, teachable moment. I'm going to teach you something. Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet... And I would also put dry your feet. You ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example. Everyone say example. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Jesus, the master, the teacher, man, at this point revolutionized everything. As a master, you would expect to serve the master. But he said, no, no, no. As the master, as Lord, as teacher, I serve you. And then he challenges them and says, go do the same I did. Okay? Go wash other people's feet. Now, please don't go to Meyer and take someone's shoes off and try to do that. You got to find and pull the principle out of it. And it's just putting others before yourselves. Now, if God leads you to do that, by all means, follow God or whatever he's saying. You know? but, but what I am saying is put, what you want to do is put people before yourself. I mean, this small act that Jesus did made a huge, everyone say huge, huge eternal impact in, in his disciples and in all around the world after that. See, after every generation after that, we want to do the same thing. It was the small act that changed everything. 
Jesus' small act of putting a towel around his waist. And remember this, he did it while he was on earth. He didn't do it after, okay, after the resurrection. He did it while he was walking this world. Small act, huge eternal impact. There are small acts on earth that can have a huge eternal impact when we follow his way. We can make an impact in people's lives. We can make an impact into his kingdom. For instance, when you look in the, uh, Luke chapter 10, we won't go into the scripture, but Luke chapter 10, Jesus talks about a, a parable, a story about a good Samaritan. And in this story, the good Samaritan, what he does is he, uh, um, well, there's this guy that got beat up, pretty much left to die. A few people walk by. This good Samaritan walks up to him, and he helps the guy out. He does a small act of just putting him on his donkey and taking him to an inn and saying, take care of him. Because of an act of kindness, healing was brought to a person. Small act, eternal impact. Okay? In the book of Exodus, you look at Moses, and he was called by God from a burning bush to go free some people. And after some going back and forth with Moses... An act of obedience by Moses brought freedom to slaves, to God's people. A small act, eternal impact. You look at Mark chapter 12 as well. In Mark 12, you see a little old widow, okay? And Jesus is with the disciples, and it's, it's playing out right before him. A little old widow. She goes to the temple, and she gives into the offering. And she puts all she has, which, by the way, was only two copper coins in other words, it was a fraction of a penny. She gave all she got right there and just threw it in there for his kingdom. And that point right there, Jesus was enabled. And I say the word enabled, okay? He was enabled to teach how to give because of one act. A widow uh, acting, uh, acting on giving was able to teach generations of how to give. A small act on earth can make a huge eternal impact. And we need to understand that so many times we can be hard on ourselves. Well, that really doesn't matter if I did that. It's just nothing big. Let me, let me, let me remind you guys something. Small acts can make a huge impact in people's lives. I'm going to brag a little bit, okay? I'm going to look at our entire church, Resurrection Life Church, for a second, okay? Our entire church here at Res Life, we have people that give their time, talents, and treasures here. But our people that give their time, I mean, those guys are, are, are doing small acts, but they're making such a huge impact in people's lives, in children's lives. When, when uh, we look at people, for instance, okay, we look at people that serve coffee. I mean, you have a warm, warm cup of coffee because someone was doing a small act. Can I speak to men for a second? Men, did you know it was biblical for men to serve coffee? Some of you guys are getting it. <laughs> Look in the book of Hebrews. <laughs> I worked all week on that one. Not a slain. Okay. <laughs> Some of you guys are not getting it. You will later, and we will pray. So <laughs> I'm just bragging a little bit on these guys because here's the thing. They're, they're, put, they're putting small acts together, and they're making this happen for you guys. You see, and I love because their heart is in it. That's what I love about them. It doesn't matter how they do it or what they're doing. It's who they're doing it for. And that's what makes it such a success. It doesn't matter if the coffee was burnt. By the way, it's never burnt. But it doesn't matter if it's burnt because it's who they're doing it for. You see, when we, when we look at our children and they're walking for the very first time and they're taking those like two to three steps and they fall, we don't go, ah, oh, you fell. <laughs> We go, yeah, you, you took three steps. That is awesome. We, looked at, we look at the good side of it. 
And so whether, whether uh, we made a small mistake, it doesn't matter because you are doing it for him. Bottom line, you are doing it for him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says this. Do nothing. Everyone say do. Do, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Pause for a second. The original translation says it this way. Never be foolishly proud. Never be foolishly proud. Okay? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. The word humility or the word humble, literally the definition is verse 4. He says, look at others' interests, not just yourself. Put others first. For you to look at other interests means you need to take your eyes off of yourself for a little bit. And you need to look at others. In other words, it's saying don't look at what's in it for me. But look at it as, how can I be in it for him? That's, that's what we ask ourselves, all right? We cannot continue to look ourselves. Jesus said yes to the cross because he was looking at our interests. Jesus said yes to Calvary, yes to the lashes, yes to the thorns, yes to hanging, yes to the death for that moment because he was looking at our interests, not his own interests. Now, he knew the outcome, resurrection, was going to come, but he, his mind and his heart was set on our interests. And then he says, go do the same. There are so many go do the same when it comes to Jesus. For instance, Ephesians 5, 1 says, just imitate me in everything you do as dearly beloved children. I know my, my son sometimes will copy me and, and, and do exactly what I do. I mean, sometimes I'll see moms in here worshiping and their daughters are next to them and they're just looking at their mom and they're just putting their hands up too. They're imitating. He wants us to do the same thing. Who's ever given a gift to make some noise? Make some noise. Now, now, I'm not talking about a gift like it's their birthday or it's their wedding anniversary or it's, their, it's a Christmas. You know, it's Christmas time. But giving a gift because you noticed a need maybe and you were looking into their interests and you decided to do something about it. You decided to do something. You, want, you wanted, you, you were looking at not your own interests. You weren't even looking at your budget anymore. Or what, how is this going to, you're like, man, they need help. And you did, and you gave, whether it was gas money, whether it was grocery money, whether it was uh, paying a bill. When you give because you looked at someone's interest, doesn't it feel good? And isn't that feeling, you feel it like right here in your heart? Because that's exactly that humility, that's exactly what God is talking about. When you look at other interests, you'll see the humility come into your life. And by the way, it just feels good. It feels good when you do that. That's exactly the humility that the scriptures is talking about. And that is the reason why, when we have that feeling, that is the reason why we have to understand that we were shaped to do this stuff. We were shaped to put others before ourselves. But not only we were shaped... To, to serve others, but we also have to, we were created to hold a servant's heart. That is key. We have to hold the servant's heart. You know, when you look at um, those that are, are giving their time here, and, you know, just because you volunteer doesn't mean you're a servant. And this is something I really want to touch bases on. Because when it comes to humiliating the heart, that's when you know you're a servant. See, volunteer should be a place where we start. For instance, volunteering is what's convenient for me. When we volunteer, we find out what's convenient for me. Being a servant or serving is putting others first and saying, even when it's inconvenient, I'll, I'll serve. I'll do it. 
Now, don't get me wrong. We all have to start as a volunteer. Okay, we all start as a volunteer. But then we have to grow into becoming a servant. We have to grow uh, to become that servant because we need to learn how to have that humility within our heart. And I just want to share a few things with you guys on how to grow and hold a servant's heart. And the first one is this. The heart of a servant serves with right motives. Everyone say right motives. The heart of a servant serves with right motives. You are doing it for the kingdom and the cause, like Jesus did. Colossians 3.17 says this, whatever you do, there's that word do, and that means action, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You see, the motive of your action is what God is weighing, not necessarily the action itself. So when you burn coffee, he ain't looking at that, or he's not looking at that. But what's the motive behind you serving coffee? Because I want to serve others. And he's saying, yes. And that's good job. You took three steps type of motive. Okay? He's looking at the motive of it. You look also at, at David. He took out a giant, and according to 1 Samuel, who took out a giant named Goliath because of his motive. He did it in the name of the Lord. His motive. You see, when you face this world and you face obstacles in life, when you face giants, in other words, what is your motive to conquer those things? Because they have been conquered. But are the motives right? Are the motives because I want to do it for his glory? Or is it just because of us? The challenge. Uh, in Luke chapter 15, uh, there's a story called the prodigal son. And you see this son where uh, he, he pretty much rebels. He goes against dad. He takes all of his inheritance. He goes, takes all of his inheritance, and he leaves. He parties. He's gone. He blows it all, and then he realizes, oh, man, <laughs> I messed up. And so he says, well, maybe if I go back home and work for my dad, at least I can come back. And he does, and he comes back, and the father embraces him and welcomes him. Now, here's the thing. The motive of the son returning back home was at least to just get some reconciliation with his dad. But the father's side of things, even though he was just, the kid just wanted to be reconciled to dad, the father just didn't reconcile with him. He restored him back to his place. Because his motive, his motive was just to come back home. He had the right motive. Even though he messed it all up, he had the right motive. And the father knew that. And so when we sit in a place where we feel like we're off track or I don't know where I'm at or what's the motive? Because you can always come back and you're not going to just be reconciled. You'll be restored. You are a daughter of God. You are a son of God. You are still more than a conqueror. You're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. The motive, our motives have to be right. When we serve, because uh, when we serve, we just want to give glory to Jesus. That's having the right Motive. The second one is this. The heart of a servant serves with a determined attitude. A determined. Not just an attitude. Don't just go, you know, attitude-ish. It's a determined. That was, yeah, not funny. Determined attitude. You look in the, uh, the book of Nehemiah. You see the story of, of a man named Nehemiah. When you read, like, the first chapter of Nehemiah, which, by the way, I challenge you guys, read the book of Nehemiah this week if you can. Definitely read it. It's a great story. Nehemiah identifies himself as a servant. When he prays to God, he says, listen to your servant, oh God. I am your servant. Hear the prayers of your servant, God. 
See, Nehemiah knew his identity already. He knew he was, he comes as a servant knowing, I humble myself before, before you, God, and I serve for your kingdom cause. And Nehemiah, what he does is when he identifies himself as a servant, he's, he's going to God wanting to restore a wall in Jerusalem that was torn down. And that was near and dear to his heart. He was wanting to rebuild this thing or build this thing right back up because he knew it was for his cause and for his kingdom. And in Nehemiah 2.18, it says this, And I also told them, okay, he got people in the wagon, by the way. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began his good work. So when Nehemiah comes to God and pleads with him and says, hey, God, your servant here, I want to do this. Please let me find favor in your eyes and before the king as well. God granted that, and he was able to go. And not only a servant heart that was willing to serve his kingdom uh, was able to do that, but he also got people on board. He was able to get other people because when he had said, they replied, let us start rebuilding. That's other people that came around him. Hey, did you know a determined attitude is very contagious? When you have a determined attitude about doing God's work and God's will or God's way, period, integrity, it is contagious. People see that and they want it. They want to come and they want to do, what, what, that's awesome how you're doing that. It's contagious. That's something you want to catch. That's something that people should catch. It was determination that caused the people to rise up and build the walls and the gates. Now, again, I encourage you guys to read that, that passage. And when you read it this week, you're going to notice, and then they built this. And then they added that. And then, and then, and it just kept going. It just kept going. And the cool thing was, it was because it was contagious by these people, they were building this thing better than what it was before. All because of a determined attitude. It was determination that caused the people to rise up the gates, even when the enemy opposed them, even when they were being attacked, they still built. What am I saying? In this world, when you live and stand for righteousness, when you pursue the heart of Jesus Christ, when you have a determined attitude to serve his kingdom, there's going to be an enemy that will oppose you. But it's that determined attitude and his grace and his Holy Spirit that's going to have you continue walking this earthly life, the ministry that you have. It is a determined attitude that's going to let you also serve others. There is going to be times where you don't want to serve. You don't feel like doing it. You don't want to do I'm just too tired. I don't have time. The excuses come up. But it is your determined attitude. That's going to get you through that. That's going to want, make you want to do that for the other person. Because what you're doing is that, what's happening is that determined attitude is bringing you to a humility stage. Yeah, humbled stage. And you're coming to a point where you just want to serve his kingdom. Determination is simply not submitting to the circumstances around you. It is so easy to come up with excuses and, and, and things not to serve his kingdom, but it's just simply not submitting to it. doesn't mean it's not going to be there. It's just not submitting to it, but submitting to God's perfect will for your life. It's not reasoning or trying to understand what God's doing, okay? But it's trusting that he is a faithful father. He is a faithful God in your life. Remember, a determination attitude is contagious, and people are going to catch it. The third thing, and the final thing is this, that the heart of a servant serves with others in mind. 
You see, when you serve, you serve with other, uh, thinking about other people. When Jesus gave himself up and he served the disciples, he was thinking about you guys. He was thinking about us. He even thought about us before he created this world. Because we were in his mind. We were in his heart. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says this. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this mindset of humility and putting others before yourself and the interests of others in you the way Jesus had it. Verse 7, but emptied himself, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. See, what he's saying here is this. God, the Father, came down in flesh form, Jesus Christ. And he walked this world. He humbled himself. He brought himself down so he can ascend and we can come with him. When you serve, come down a notch or two. Look at the interests of others and then rise them up with you. Because when you do that, you mimic your heavenly Father. The reason why God came down in the flesh was because you were in his mind. You were in his heart. The reason why Jesus said yes to the cross because he was thinking of you by name. Sometimes it's hard to imagine that. But remember, even though Jesus was 100% man, he was also 100% God. And he thought of you. He knew you before you were even knitted in the womb. He knew you before time even existed. He knew you. Have others in your mind when you serve his kingdom. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Father, I just thank you right now, Lord, for an opportunity just to just to look into your word and, and, and dive right into it, Father God, and just see what you have for us, what's been in store for us, Father God. Lord, as we're done with the message right now, Father, I, Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak to every single one of these people right now, including myself, Father God. What is it that you're drawing us to, Father? What is it that you want us to come to, Father? Now at this time, maybe some of us are just wrestling some things. Well, maybe I just can't do it, or I'm not able to do it, or I have to do it this certain way. No. How about you just do it God's way and how he tells you to do it? See, God's not a cookie-cutter God. God is an authentic, real father. I'll give you a few more seconds to listen. Father, I just thank you again right now, Lord, that you just continue to speak with us as we, as we exit these doors, Father God. Lord, I pray right now that every single one of us heard your voice, but not only heard, now we are doers, Father, of your word. Now, the first thing I want to invite you, church, or actually invite you guys, is maybe this is the first time you've heard Jesus Christ, and maybe it was in this type of form as well, and you didn't realize he's more relational than religion. I want to give you an opportunity to just to accept him. With every eye closed between you and God, you know you need Jesus in your heart. You know you haven't really been living the way he wants you to live. And you know there is so much more in store for your life if you just give it up to him. 
The second invite is, well, I just follow and I know God, and I, but I, kind of, I just kind of slipped away. Haven't been in contact with him, but I want to come back to him. On any of those two invites, on the count of three, with eyes closed, I want you to shoot your hand up with boldness, knowing who you are. One, I want Jesus. Two, I need Jesus. Three, shoot your hand up. God bless you over there. God bless you over there. You know this is your first step in your journey. And the only way you can take those steps is by having someone guide you through that, carrying you through those things. Give it a few more seconds. We're going to do this as a church family. I want everyone to put one hand over their heart and one hand in the sky. And repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe in you. I believe in your word. I know that your son died on the cross for me. And I know he's still living today. I come before you right now repenting of all the wrong I've did. And I thank you by faith I can receive your mercy and your forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, live in my heart and guide me forever. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children say, amen and amen.